Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 211. And before we get into the show, you know, last episode, my Rebooting Liberty in 2021 episode, which if you haven't listened to, go back, listen to it twice because it is very important. Maybe one of the most important podcasts I've done. But I mentioned on that show how I'm trying to get into the mainstream, how we need libertarians to get mainstream. And we are trying to do that. We've got a hilarious show, Bravo and Beer, where we break down the goofiest reality TV shows out there, like 90 Day Fiance, Below Deck Med, from me, from John Udermatt, and Rico, our legal counsel. Just making fun of the misfortunate, making fun of these fat imbeciles trying to find love with 17-year-old Nigerian rappers. It gets better from there. Trust me when I tell you, you don't need to listen to the shows. You don't need to watch the shows to appreciate this podcast. It is fucking hilarious, and you need to listen to it. And by that, I'm trying to get out there. We're trying to get more more cachet for libertarians where people don't know we're libertarians. Shh, it's part of the overall plan, guys. So check out Bravo and Beer, and check out the Second Print Podcast from Mark and Remzo. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I, uh, Like I said in the opener, I hope you did listen to my last episode and... You know, I got to say, obviously, those of you who have been listening to this show for a long time know that I'm a bombastic personality who loves to curse up a blue streak, but I am, uh, I don't know, we'll see where it takes me during this episode, but I think on certain shows, I might try to rein in the cursing slightly only because we are entering a time that I have never seen during my lifetime of absolute censorship, authoritarian meanderings on all sides. And as such, because of the importance of what we're talking about, I am debating trying to make my episodes a little bit more palatable for broad audiences occasionally. Now, again, we'll see what happens by the end of the show. I may lose my top and blow my lid and start dropping F-bombs left, right, and center. But just know, if you're expecting massive amounts of cursing, as usual, you may not get it on certain episodes because I'm trying to be a good boy in order to get my point across. Now... The reason I preface this episode with that is because we've seen the Capitol building get stormed, right? Something that obviously I've never seen in my lifetime. Now, I'm not going to necessarily say that that was the wrong thing to do or the right thing to do, because if there's one thing I can't stand, it is people saying, oh my God, I can't believe that this happened when we're talking about a building full of politicians, a building full of politicians who, mind you, have been voting to put us deeply into debt, have been murderers and thieves from the get-go, and also who have overseen uh, permitting the entire American economy to be shut down, people to be put out of work, and in the meantime, have kept themselves gainfully employed and gainfully safe as they go vacation all over the globe while telling you to stay home and not to visit your grandmother, nor to have Christmas. So, excuse me if I don't get too upset when a mostly nonviolent protest to steal from the leftist takes place and turns into a storming of the Capitol building. Now, that being said, I am never for outward uses of violence where it's not necessarily called for. And I do not think that this was a situation where it was called for, but I can understand it. Because if we're going to talk about people who have been riled up right? By the concept that there is an election that has been stolen from them. And I do think that it was in fact, I won't say for sure that I think Donald Trump 100% won, but I will say that I'm about 90% sure that he would have won were there not massive amounts of fraud ongoing. And I'm not even talking about vote switching. I'm just talking about the massive amounts of fraud that happen when you have any amount of mail-in voting. And when you have mail-in voting to the extent that it took place during this past election, you are virtually assured that it's going to happen. And because of the politicized environment wherein you have half of the nation that hates Donald Trump so much that they cannot literally go through an entire day without thinking of him, without cursing his name, without writing mean tweets to his family members— why would they not 
do everything they can to assure that he is ousted from office. And that ties into what we're going to talk about today. Because I'm not going to go in deep about the whole storming and concepts. People have talked about that. What I do want to talk about is the potential that this was all planned out from the get-go and that there were indeed false flags or uh, plants that made this capital storming kind of the end game to a long plan that was laid out well in advance. A combination of big tech, of establishment power players, and of course, big government. Because as we know, and as, as I talked about last episode, big government and big tech are intimately tied in with each other. You need look no further than what's been going on in China. And this is one thing, I'll tell you a little side note, you know, I had posted this and I know actually it was funny because Dave talked about this and brought about uh, Dave Smith, a part of the problem. He brought up what aboutism and I was going to go off on a 10 minute diatribe about this until he brought it up. And I was like, ah, I know we have a lot of overlap. So I'll just do a quick thing. But I tweeted this out after it happened. But what aboutism is quite literally the fallback position using the phrase what aboutism, which if you're not familiar with it, what aboutism is simply saying it's trying to discount the mentioning of a similar instance in order to point out hypocrisy, right? Or point out that someone's actions were, they expressed a different point of view when it was something on their side rather than something else by saying, okay, what about this? A perfect example is Donald Trump being completely pilloried by the media and attacked at all sides and having AOC go and look at the border fences and the cages that these migrant children were being kept in when they were separated from their families at the border. Never mind that this has been going on for eight years. Never mind that Obama built those cages. Never mind that the photographer or the, uh, the photo of a child in a cage under a uh, one of those tinfoil blankets that was circulating and was tweeted ad nauseum. Never mind that that was from the Obama era. Because nobody cared then, they only care now that Donald Trump is. So that is, somebody would say, well, that's just what aboutism. Let's talk about the here and now. As if that somehow erases the point that you're trying to make. Because when I'm trying to argue with somebody, and this happened with the Capitol Hill protests and in the violence that occurred, right? I had a friend of mine who I respect, he's an intelligent guy, and I pointed out because he had written a, a basically an RIP to the DC police officer who got brained with the fire extinguisher during that storming, as they called it, of Capitol Hill. And I'll talk a little bit about that concept because I I've seen videos of it and it definitely wasn't the uh, the massive charge that they want you to believe it is. But he wrote this whole long rest in peace, oh what a brave and wonderful officer about this DC cop. And I pointed out to him, I said, look, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to uh, demean this man's life or uh, the sacrifice, if you call it that, that he made by dying on that literal Capitol Hill. But I noticed that you didn't post anything for the hundreds of police officers that were either killed or injured during the Black Lives Matter riots. I, I didn't see you post anything about the damage that was done, nor anything about all the innocents that were attacked on the streets that had their homes uh, damaged, that had their businesses burned down and looted. And I just was curious why that is. And my friend, to his credit, did not come back and say, oh, yeah, you're right. I, mean, I told him, I said, look, he, you know, he... <laughs> He came back with something a little bit, you know, oh, well, let me say this. And, oh, well, you you, you liked Donald Trump's policies here and there. To which I responded, look, I'm just pointing out hypocrisy here. And he goes, okay, fair enough. You know, like that. And then we went on to talk about other things and about how we both want the drug war to end. Great, right? Because we're friends and we can do that. But, of course, he's got all these lefties, because we live in Los Angeles, all these lefty friends that then try to jump in. We have a woman who then posts, and this is, of course, the most hypocritical thing ever. She posts how... Well, this is different. Those people were writing for social justice and rights. And these are just a bunch of hate-filled bigots that are trying to overturn a completely legitimate election. And I responded to her and I said, violence is violence. Murder is murder. Damage is damage. Um, you know, I don't see the difference here. I'm not saying that one is necessarily justified or the other is not justified. But you can't disagree that this is violence by a mob 
And that mob has damaged people. That mob has injured people. There is no difference when it comes down to that basic fact. And of course, she would argue with me and says, oh, well, the, the BLM riots were 97%. <laughs> she actually used it. <laughs> 97% nonviolent, which of course is literally taken from the direct MSNBC CNN talking points, which she has now regurgitated. And I pointed out to her, well, we only had, as, as of the time I was talking to her, we only had four people killed or badly injured during the storming of Capitol Hill. So I would say, considering how many people were there, this was a 99% nonviolent occurrence, wasn't it? Right? And see how silly this all is? And of course, to that, there was no response. But some other jackass then jumps in and says, oh, well, this is just whataboutism. Now, of course, it's not just whataboutism. It is pointing out a very specific hypocrisy. It's pointing out a very specific set of rules that these people want to apply to one segment of the population only when it behooves them because it's on their side, because they hate Donald Trump and they want to blame his supporters and not give any credence to why they thought this was necessary or what led them to think that this was necessary. Instead, they just want to say that they're bigots and racists and that this is the worst thing that ever happened, even though this is a government building, one government building, not a citywide burning and looting spree, not five city blocks in Seattle being overtaken. No, this was something that happened for about two hours and then was done. And the people responsible will 100% be going to jail, probably for 10, 20 years. Meanwhile, and, and, and pledges, by the way, the FBI working to hunt these people down. Meanwhile, you have places like Los Angeles, you have places like Seattle, you have places like Portland that literally released people, arrested, burning buildings, looting buildings, owning firearms and being out in the streets and using them. Those people were released. Those people who harmed everyday citizens were released back into the wild. No problem, no harm, no foul, because you were only hurting other people, not government. And of course, the left views the government as their god. How dare you throw rocks at God? Can you imagine? So anyway, what aboutism? What is stupid, stupid thing to say. If you use that phrase, please reevaluate your life and figure out a way in which you can actually compile a decent argument or a decent counterpoint, because it becomes blatantly obvious when you say that's just whataboutism, that you're looking for a way to just simply disrupt someone's argument and basically say, I don't have to listen to you anymore. It's the same thing. The whataboutism has basically become the new, you're a racist to the left. I never really hear people on the right using it. They probably do, but just in my circles, I don't hear it. But it is literally the exact same thing. It's a way to diffuse somebody's point of view without actually having to do any of the dirty work of breaking down their argument, providing a better argument from your standpoint and proving them wrong. Instead, you can simply discount them. Now, I've got a lot to unpack here, so let me take a, take a thought before I continue. I want to talk a little bit more about what led to this? Because this is why the whole confab, right? The, the title of the episode, how this is all a plan coming together will become very apparent to you. And I'm trying to think the way I want to lay it out. So let's start at the beginning. We've got a media environment wherein they are, of course, incentivized and have been over the years to divide people because ratings skyrocket during any type of division. You've also got Donald Trump, a man who clearly does not respect the establishment, has attacked the deep state, and we saw the deep state coup that was uh, perpetrated against him, the whole Russiagate scandal, and how the media gleefully covered that. We also saw how the establishment reacted to that, you know, campaigning to impeach Donald Trump for nothing, and now, of course, he's being threatened with another new round of impeachment, but impeached him over nothing. Meanwhile, doing the exact same thing. We look at Hunter and Joe Biden. Clearly, they're doing the same thing. We look at Joe Biden's incoming staff, how they're talking to Russia right now. The same thing that General Flynn was thrown into jail for. Joe Biden is, is doing right now. But you have Donald Trump that really scared and shook the establishment. Not only that, but the fact that Donald Trump could get into office was a terrifying, groundbreaking event to the people in the establishment that thought they had to vet every politician. You know, there's layers upon layers upon layers 
local elections, primaries. You have your media guardians, right? Standing place, deciding who's going to get through. You have CNN leaking questions to Hillary Clinton to try to push her through. Clearly, there is, as you know, as uh, certainly I've termed it, the cathedral. There is this cathedral of thought and these power brokers that want to maintain a stranglehold on the way things operate, the way things are done, their power play. And having somebody come in and disrupt that, as Donald Trump did, was something that was absolutely the antithesis of how they view the world and how they view stability moving forward. And of course, they would be right in viewing it this way. As wrong as they are as people, you can understand where they would be coming from. So you have a media that has now been shaken by Donald Trump and by his being able to use what they're doing and turn it against them. Everything they did against Donald Trump, he turned and used against them while growing a base. You have establishment that are now shaken to the core because they see a man coming out of nowhere who was able by pure, I don't know, force of will, humor, uh, his personality, his, his large media presence was able to shoehorn his way and force his way. Because you know they did not want in any way, shape, or form. The GOP did not want in any way, shape, or form for Donald Trump to be the representative. But he was able to force his way into that position. Thus, again, scaring these people to death. That they're groomed individuals. That this power position, because you know it was supposed to go Clinton Bush, Clinton Bush, right? Back and forth, back and forth. Jeb Bush was being groomed to once again, or Hillary Clinton. It wouldn't have mattered as long as it stays within those same power circles. They were being groomed, so it shook them to the core. So you've got those vasects. Now you've got big technology coming in. Big technology, of course, is also working hand in hand with government. We need to look at no further than Google and China to see how government works hand in hand with Google to censor content. They have been blatantly obvious about it. We've got Amazon Web Services, which is a, a massive cloud provider, they're in talks right now with the Department of Defense and the Pentagon. They already host many, many, many servers that have government material on it. So they're already in bed with the government, with the establishment, and with the people that are in power. They do not want to upset that. There's a reason these money, you know, these money circles flow. There is a distinct way in which the streams and eddies have flown for decades in which none of these people want to upset that. So you now have big tech that are also incentivized to keep this on the straightforward path and not have more people coming in like Donald Trump who can use their very platforms to undermine what they're trying to do, especially when it comes to Donald Trump and deregulation. Because if there's one thing we know, it is big government and big technology, big corporations love regulation. Regulation stifles innovation. It stifles people from coming into the market unabashed, being able to, to take shots at Facebook and take them down. Facebook probably would not be able to compete with Facebook in a regulatory environment as exists today. This is, of course, by intention. It's by design. Even when we come to Section 230 and deciding, are these people publishers or not? Okay, what are we going to do with them? I can guarantee you, whatever this inevitably shakes out to be, it's not going to benefit people coming into the new market unless we fight tooth and nail to make it so. Point being... When you have these big tech companies coming in there, they also are highly incentivized to embrace big government, to embrace the establishment, and to keep things the way they are because they do not want to have their market share taken away. So you've got this confab, right? Big tech, big government, and the establishment power players all working towards the same goal of taking down not only Donald Trump, but also taking down the ecosystem of free speech and of social media that allowed the rise of Donald Trump and allowed this these differentiating thoughts to get out there into the universe. I mean, look at the way they're handling COVID information, right? We are in, you know, John Odermatt said this on Finding Freedom, which that is the new felony. Friday is now Finding Freedom. He's expanded it and uh, his outlook if you missed last Friday's episode. But we are in a full-on information war. And it, it is, it's too ironic that Alex Jones was the fucking... Oh, I dropped an F-bomb. Well, anyway, Alex Jones was the first person deplatformed, right? The guy that literally has talked about how these things are intersecting on Infowars.com. I mean, if you wrote this into a screenplay... It would be so on the nose, they would tell you, no, you can't call the site informationwars.com. If we're going to have an information war, that's just ridiculous. If we take that off, people are going to know what we're doing. They're going to know that we're in an information war. Yet, Alex Jones, 
First guy deplatformed. First shot across the bow. And of course, we all warned people then that this was inevitable. But let me stay on track. So they look at this ecosystem, right? And they say, okay, we have to stop this from coming. We have to be able to control the narrative. So with COVID, you're seeing them control the narrative. You're seeing social media platforms not only decide what is what is or is not a reasonable civil opinion, right? Not only policing speech insofar as what is hate speech, hateful speech, what is a, a threat or a non-threat. And of course, you have examples of the government working hand in hand with Facebook in Europe and with Twitter in Europe to find people's social media posts and they go and knock on your door because of your social media accounts. So again, to remind people just how tightly tied in government and these big tech companies are. So there's no pretending that big tech and big government are not intertwined. There is no differentiating saying, well, we defend private companies being able to do what they want by kicking, kicking Donald Trump off. No, no more. They're intertwined and they're working for one purpose. So you have the media narrative going forward, right? That Donald Trump is this evil man. You've got them talking nonstop about how he has to be removed, how his supporters are violent and bigots and everything else. In the meantime, you've got social media campaigns, which are, or not campaigns, you have social media companies, which are not only amplifying that message, but intentionally feeding people specific content, right? We know, and there's been studies done into this about how YouTube, for example, can cause people to become more extreme because they'll watch one video, which then leads them down a pipeline of other videos, more extreme, more extreme, more extreme, more extreme, right? They are saying that is by virtue of an algorithm. This might be true. But at the same time, the fact that you're fed only content that feeds into your same beliefs to larger and larger extents is a problem in a way that I think was designed to be. Now, what I mean by that is when we look at the whole ecosystem of how these big tech companies filter content and what they view as content that has to be removed as of now and what had to be removed as of four years ago, vastly different. So you've got Donald Trump putting out social media content, which is then echoed to his supporters. You've got alternative news sources that are going to be playing into the Donald Trump environment. You have you know entire websites coming up that have taken Donald Trump's messaging, tried to parlay that into an audience and have done so successfully. Of course, we had all that nonsense about Russian disinformation and the information wars and quote unquote fake news. That is all out there for a reason. But at the same time, while media companies, while the big media companies anyway, the legacy media companies complain about fake news and alternative news, they're still putting out their own version as Donald Trump said, of fake news, and accurately so. It is news specifically designed to inflame a part of the populace while leaving you know, the other part also equally inflamed. Either you love Donald Trump and you can't believe how he's being treated by media, or you hate Donald Trump and you're becoming more extreme in that belief to the point where, of course, you have hashtag kill Trump, hashtag assassinate Trump trending on Twitter, but nothing's ever done about it because left hate is allowed to stay on these platforms. So basically, you're creating extremists. And again, I think this is by design because they want to divide the population into the way that they're thinking to make sure that we hate each other and not the government where our anger will be rightfully placed. This also ties into the Black Lives Matter riots. What do we have? We have a propagandized half of the country, which, you know, I pointed this out on Twitter to anybody that doesn't realize it, but the same people that stormed, quote unquote, stormed the Capitol are the same people that were out there marching and rioting and, and antifaing and all this other idiocy. It's a portion of the population that is easily influenced and that is easily risen to violence under, you know, a certain amount of political, societal, informational pressure, which they are nonstop inundated by. So you've got social media echoing all of these things together to make people more extreme. Why, right? Why do we want this to happen? Well, if you're big media, if you're big government, if you're establishment, if you're big tech, it is all towards making people extreme because you need to get Donald Trump out. So by rivaling people up and getting them all angsty, getting them out, riding in the streets, and then not having them face any consequences, right? Having people get stores looted, having people get stores burned down, having little consequence to people for these riotous actions, you are sending a message to the broader population that A, riots work, right? And that B, there will not be consequences for these actions. Now, for the left, that is largely true, right? But we're seeing on the right 
These people that went in and stormed the Capitol building, who were, by the way, imbeciles, you know, wear a mask. <laughs> if you don't think the government's coming for you, you're a fool because you're going after their stuff, which matters, of course, far more than the everyday person's stuff. But you're sending a message by echoing all of these riots and all the fact that people are getting off and all of this woke messaging from corporations that Black Lives Matter and that this is so important that we can't judge people that are looting and we can't judge people for the violence taken because it's justified, right? So the right side of the country says, well, riots are clearly working. They got everything they wanted. There was no comeuppance. We need to do the same. We are in a state of warfare now. And we have to defend the information that has convinced us that we are right. We are convinced now, because of the propagandization, that the country is under siege, that it is going to be you know, almost a race war forthcoming, that we are facing people that want to take away everything that we have, that we are facing a, an election being stolen. So now they are driven to riot, which plays perfectly into the hands of the establishment who wants Trump out to begin with, who wants this man and his followers to face comeuppance, to know that they will be crushed underfoot. Meanwhile, making it very evident that the other side will not be because they are going along, because the type of violence that they're interacting with is not targeted towards the state. If anything, it is enabled by the state who told the police to stand down. The National Guard did not get deployed to the large extent. And when Trump threatened to do so, he was reprimanded by the very cities that were burning to the ground. So now they've got an extremist environment. You've got people that are willing to riot, that are motivated to come and march because they've been shown very clearly that it is effective and mandatory almost in this environment if, they're gonna, if they are going to achieve the truth that they have been taught. So now you've got this entire environment where they're now standing outside, waiting to go in, and with little provocation from Trump, by the way, I read the transcript, as did several other people, Trump never told them to violently storm the Capitol. That never happened. But there were provocateurs in that crowd. We know for a fact that a leader from Antifa, or I'm sorry, a leader of a BLM group was one of the first people to storm in there. Now, he may have not been the only one. There might have been other inciters in that crowd. Now, this is getting into conspiracy theory, mind you. Of course, this all is. But it fits together so perfectly that I'm going to permit myself, if you will do the same, to go down this road. So you now have these agent provocateurs in there that are riling up what was just a, a crowd standing around chanting and cheering to violence. You've got them rushing in now, right? They're going to take the Capitol. And it's being portrayed in the media as though this massive crowd just decided all at once to storm in and they were beating people and they were doing all these other things. And yes, a woman got shot perplexingly because there were other cops behind her and who shoots this into a crowd randomly. And there were a few people injured, as we saw. People get rabid and riled up. We saw it on the other side as well. Not to excuse it. Violence is violence. I'm not excusing any of this. But what's interesting is if you watch the videos, there was very little violence when you think about what's actually happening. When you think about this being the seat of power in America, more than the White House by far, all of our, our Congress is in there, right? This is really the power in the nation, and it's so easily overrun. Very few shots fired. You actually have video of the people letting the mob in, stepping aside and opening doors for them. Inside, there's cameras, people just allowing them to go wherever they please. It's all very, very convenient. And it leads me to believe that this is all, again, a culmination of a plan wherein you have the media riling people up, you have social media amplifying the message, you now have riots being okayed, you have them ushered in to make sure that the spectacle is visible and viewable. And now you have everybody in the government able to say, oh my God, Donald Trump is the worst person ever. He incited these people to undertake what is, they're calling it a coup, which is just idiotic. Yeah, you can't, you don't have a coup by storming in with a bunch of yahoos into a building. But they're portraying it as something so outlandish, so inexcusable, that nothing like this could ever be permitted again. Oh, we were so scared, even though it's just a bunch of people taking selfies inside the Capitol building. 
but it gives them a perfect excuse for Donald Trump now from being attacked on all sides by the legacy media, right? All sides attacked by people to say, okay, fine, it's over. I'm not going to challenge the election anymore. I'm not going to challenge the results. We're not going to have a big investigation into it. We're not going to have any of the court cases happen. We're not going to be able to do a special uh, investigatory body. What do they call it? Uh, the same thing, the Mueller report. I'm just blanking on the name. None of that's going to happen now, even though it should. Even though as a nation, we definitely should demand that a special investigation and a special counsel be sicked upon what happened in this election to find out what really went down. We'll never get it, of course. And especially not now. Because since we had this violence play out, right? Since we had the state of American power besieged by a bunch of drunks taking selfies, now it is unconscionable to think that we could resurrect the topic that drove them to such madness, right? So conveniently, there will be no investigation into that. Not only that, but now we've given Donald Trump the perfect scapegoat. We're not Donald Trump is the scapegoat for all this violence. Now he has played a part. Don't get me wrong. Donald Trump definitely pushed in to rile people up. It was part of his charm to get them all excited, to get them convinced that that he was right. This is this election was stolen. That's what he hammered and people said. This election was stolen. But he never incited them to violence specifically. He never said, go storm this, go beat people, go. None of that ever happened. But per mainstream media condemnation, every channel out there, mind you, not just the liberal stations, every channel condemning him, saying how this is completely his fault. And thus he is a danger to society, a man that is, you know, everybody always uses the equivalent, which is not actually any sort of law, but He is the equivalent of a man screaming fire in a theater. He is inciting people to panic and violence, and thus he cannot be permitted to have free speech on any platforms whatsoever. And that introduces us into a new era of big tech censorship. And of course, big government censorship, since they are so very intricately intertwined. Because God forbid anything like this happens again. We have to silence the extremists. Never mind that big Tech and big social media created the extremists. That big media, legacy media, created the extremists. Now they have the perfect excuse to purge anybody that dissents. Not just, by the way, extremist righties. They leave the extremist lefties on there because they're all fans of big government anyway, right? But not just extremist righties. People like Ron Paul. Ron Paul got zucked. He got locked out of his page because he dared to post an article fighting back against big tech censorship. Coincidence? I think not. A longtime congressman, a doctor, a now philosopher of liberty, locked out, not for hate speech, not for anything conscionable you could imagine, but simply because they decided it had to be so, because he is one of the voices to be sounds. I know Dan Smots, our buddy ever at uh, The System is Down, he's going to be on uh, tomorrow's show, actually, Finding Freedom, talking about how he got zucked. So don't miss that. But it's all, again, very convenient how it's all falling together. So Trump now has been silenced on every major platform. All Facebook, all Twitter, all YouTube, He had Shopify lock down their store, their campaign store, so he can't sell anything. You had Parler, the alternative to Twitter, the conservative or, well, they would just say simply free speech platform where they're not censoring anybody, they're not kicking anybody off. You have them shut down because the Amazon web services had decided they will no no longer host them. So now you've got Donald Trump (coughs) who's been essentially painted into a corner by the actions of his supporters as goaded on by big tech and big media. And as I said, permittedly so by the guards at the Capitol building. Of course, now he's going to allow for a smooth transition of power. There is no questioning of the mainstream narrative anymore, the mainstream government narrative. If you dare to try to question the results of the election, 
you will have your posts removed by Facebook or Twitter or any of the other powers that be. YouTube is the same way, just as they did with COVID. They will now remove anything that challenges the state-sanctioned truth of the matter. And remember, Donald Trump is not the state. Even though he got a little bit swampy, or I'd say a lot swampy in some of his appointments, I think more to naivete and laziness than out of a, uh, a distinct wish to continue the swamp and put people back in power who had been longtime legacy deep staters. But Donald Trump, of course, is not the establishment, and he never would be. He would never be accepted into that club. But of course, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, definitely. Please come back in. Bring all of the cronies from the Bush era. Bring all the cronies from the Obama era, all the neocons. Bring them all back in. We missed you. Come, we welcome you with open arms. So, of course, big tech is now going along with all the state-sponsored narratives on COVID, on electoral fraud, on the Stop the Steal movement, on any number of truths, or not even, it can't even say provable truths. They also can't prove that the truth that they're telling you is the truth, because there's no possible way for them to do it. But you can't challenge it anymore. And I remember a buddy of mine was touting how Donald Trump was taken off. And he's like, this should be the cover of a beautiful uh, book on uh, whatever. I don't know. Fighting back against tyranny. And I said, no, this should be the new cover of 1984. And somehow he thinks that I am misinterpreting what 1984 is. These leftists have been so brainwashed. Like we talked about this in, in Animal Farm, how even though we now can see how provably and demonstrably failed socialism experiments are every single time. And now reading that book, you can clearly see how it would fail again and again as played out in real life. But the leftists would not read it that way. And clearly they don't read 1984 the same way that we do either. Because we're seeing the erasure of history. We're seeing the censorship of alternative facts and theories. We're seeing a narrative now play out wherein to try to challenge the very specific history of what went down, or what went down, got stuck between on and down there, with what went on at the Capitol building, scrubworthy. If not the post, then the person posting it. These are all tied in. To get to what? To get to the new authoritarianism. We now, and this is what Ron Paul was, was warning about too in his post, we now have the domestic terror war at home. We now have watch lists for people that had stormed the building. We now have the government seeking these people down. We now have AI that can do facial, facial scanning and recognition, even if, even if a mask is on. We have all of these measures being justified because of the fright feigned by politicians, because of the threat of extremism and domestic terrorism, which if burning down a goddamn building and looting it over and over and over, if taking over five city blocks and arming and walking around with armed men at night isn't domestic terrorism, I don't know what it is, but no, that wasn't worthy of censorship, right? That wasn't worthy. And I would have, I would have opposed that as well. By the way, I would have opposed that as well. But now they say they're justified because Donald Trump's people, these extremists, dare threaten the state. And now what's happened is not only the social media silencing, but it's also extending into other aspects of life. As you've seen in many news stories, what is called out in the public sphere as being, I don't know, hate thought as, as a thought crime challenging whether or not Black Lives Matter should supersede all lives, for example, is a fireable offense. We see, as I said, Shopify taking down Donald Trump's campaign web store. So now he doesn't have an alternative. He has nowhere to sell his merch because maybe it's not just Shopify. Maybe it's also, you know, what any other number of, uh, of major retailers that say, no, we're not going to do business with you any longer. We just, you're full of hate. We can't allow that. Not only is it that, but we also have Citibank and some other major banking institutions say that they're no longer going to fund, or I don't know if they're saying just they will not fund 
GOP campaigns or Donald Trump campaigns, or if they're not going to allow transactions funding his campaign. I think it's the latter, as if, as in, they will not function as a go-between. We had Stripe say that they will not function as a go-between for monetary transactions for anything having to do with Donald Trump. You can see where this is going. And it harkens very specifically to our largest competitor on the global stage. And I'll tell you all about that right after I tell you about the Matthew Spasidi program. I brought this up last show and I want to bring it up again. This is actually a podcast I'm really, really into right now because I'm looking around the financial playing field and seeing all the mines that have been laid out there. Not everybody's got a Bitcoin fortune, guys. And what Matthew Spasidi has been doing is he is laying out kind of fundamentals for how you can get your financial freedom locked in. And he's taking it from an Austrian economic lens. He is a libertarian. Obviously, he's a fan of this show. And he's coming into a kind of relaying his own personal experience, how he's been able to get his finances on track and lead the way as a founder of the new millennium wealth, uh, which is what his business is called. And really, he just wants to allow you to escape that every day, trying to make ends meet and get on your journey to becoming financially free. And this is actually kismet. I just had somebody ask me where, I think it was like a post in a, in a forum for the Mises Caucus saying, hey, what podcast did you listen to? I'm looking for one about finance. I told him, Matthew Spasini program, guys. So check it out. You can find it anywhere podcasts are downloaded, but you could also go specifically to the link the Matthew Spasidi program, and it's S-P-O-S-I-T-I program.podbean.com if you want to get more out of him. But again, you can find it pretty much anywhere you want to go. And I will uh, uh, link to it in the show notes today at lionsofliberty.com slash episodes slash E-L-L-2-1-1. All right, so coming back in, I mentioned our biggest competitor. Of course, it's China. It's China. And I cannot help but see the very specific parallels between the Chinese social credit system that they've instituted there, and which I railed against several times in warning on this very program, and what we're seeing play out right now. It doesn't have a formal name here in the United States, but it is literally the same playbook unfolding. The Chinese social credit system interacts in these specific ways. The government watches what you do. They watch where you go, right? As of right now, we already have government tracking in place because of COVID uh, contact tracing. We already have, as I mentioned, AI facial recognition. We've already got CCTV cameras everywhere. They know where you're going. They also can track you by your monetary transactions, which is why we should never get rid of paper money. But not only that, they now can say, okay, we know where you're going. And there's also bills in place, by the way. And I, and I mentioned on another show, there's actually the Air, I think it was the Air Force or the Navy. I believe it was the Air Force contracted with a very specific AI programmer located in Washington, D.C. that specifically is designed to be able to locate exactly where you are and also locate who you're with by, by pinging around to different cell devices, et cetera, on the Internet of Things. So this is already, already in existence. The government's already contracted it. So they know where you are. They know what you're posting and what you're talking about because they are in bed with big tech. They can ask for whatever records they like. They're already monitoring your social media. I pointed to the UK, obviously in China. They are monitoring your social credit. They are. They can boot you off of these social platforms if they deem that you're to, to be using hate speech, to be inciting some sort of extremist views. They will boot you off or they will track you and they will come to your door. They will then use those postings to justify denying you the use of services. To point, case in point, Donald Trump, people, other people that are uh, conservative-based businesses have been deplatformed. For example, Parler, Amazon Web Services kicked them off of their, their cloud program, so now they can't have any web posting. I think they might have found a backup, but once Amazon booted them, Google's the same thing. They're not going to host them. Google and, and Google has a massive domain service. I know one of my domains is located on Google. I regret that now. But all these things are tied in. Even if you don't realize 
what you're doing, even if you go to a subcontractor, they are still more than likely, whether that's a web hosting service, whether that's a credit card company, whether that's an e-commerce fund, whatever it might be, they are more than likely still tied into that behemoth of Amazon or Google or one of the other major providers that has already said, we will not provide you service. So we've got that aspect down. In China, you also cannot use certain banking aspects if your uh, social credit score is not high enough. We see Citibank denying Donald Trump donations to his campaign funds through use of their services. This is something I warned about very, very loudly. I think it was like three or four episodes ago. Once you have banking getting involved in this, once you have Stripe and Citibank and whoever else teaming up to say, we're going to deny you on the basis of what you believe. And this happened also when it came to gun groups, gun manufacturers, they would not fund certain gun groups, right? Citibank, I think it was Citibank. They must be extra woke at Citibank, but I believe it was Citibank that said, we will not allow funding to go towards, you know, X, Y, and Z. If you are a gun supporting group, we will not allow it. So now your social credit score is affecting your ability to bank, to keep your money somewhere, to get a loan, to start a business. So you see how this end game is coming together. They are literally playing out the string to get us to the Chinese model of authoritarianism or totalitarianism rule under the guise of protecting us, protecting our our sensibilities, protecting our way of life, making sure that the extremists don't win. The extremists that they created, making sure that we have to police that for the greater good. This is what you're seeing play out. We need to get diversified services, diversified offerings. We have to fight back against big tech. We cannot, I said this in the last episode I'm missing, we cannot simply rest back on our laurels and say, well, they're a private company. They can do what they want because they are not a private company anymore. They are deeply tied into government and everything that is going on in this, in this universe. You cannot simply say, well, a private company should be able to discriminate as they want when they are the backbone or involved and have their fingers in every single aspect of society and how e-commerce is done, how governments function, and how your basic civil liberties play out to live your life in a free manner. It simply cannot be permitted any longer. Now, there was an interesting thing put forward by Devin uh, Nunes. Nunes? Nunes? Whatever his fucking name is. Up, oh, well, two F-bombs isn't bad. I'll try to keep it at that for the set. Whatever is my, his name, uh, however you pronounce it. But it's an anti-racketeering charge because the way in which this all played out was obviously coordinated. This is the other reason I'm saying this is all a plan from the get-go. When you have all these platforms immediately deplatforming Trump at once, when you have... Amazon drop parlor. When you have these services cut off all his banking, this is a coordinated attack. This is racketeering. Clearly, there's coordination going on behind the scenes, just like with Alex Jones. Alex Jones didn't just lose one service. He lost it all. All gone. All at once. Just boom, drop that axe, chop off the head. This is terrifying. Again, why I've tried, why I've tried not to curse this episode so you guys can share this episode to tell people this is what's happening. I know this is a conspiracy theory, but I don't see a way around it. I don't see a way to think that it's not. This is the plan. We've seen it play out right now, mirroring China's social credit system. A p- completely control of all American populace, because if you do not have the ability to bank, if you don't have the ability to travel because you're on a watch list, if you don't have the ability to run your business or keep your job because of something you may have said in the past five, 10 years that gets drudged up on social media, well, what are you going to do? Not only that, good luck trying to tell anybody your story. Good luck trying to tell people how you've been wronged, what happened, what you were really thinking, because now you're deplatformed. All that exists are those old evil tweets that people dug up. You can't post anything new. You're not going to find anybody to defend you. Mainstream media is not going to listen to you. The government obviously doesn't have your back. Good luck. Now, on the positive side of things, I don't want to just keep railing on about negativity here and make you guys think that, well, we just kick it in. On the positive side of things, 
we are seeing a lot more normal people wake up, not of non-libertarians waking up. We've seen, I mean, Chris, Emily Rajkowski, whatever that super hot chick's name is, she is out there posting about how terrifying this level of censorship is. We're seeing Merkel, Angela Merkel, even the Nazis are railing against this authoritarian move. World leaders are saying, you cannot do this. This is a step beyond. This is unbelievable that you would deplatform a president of the United States, deny him access to all these different things. It is insane. So people are waking up. They've played their hand too far. They took this to an extreme where even regular people are waking up. Maybe not the crazy leftists, but regular people, even if they're left-leaning, even if they don't like Donald Trump, are not going to take this lying down. You saw Twitter's stock drop something like 15% today. I think it's going to continue to go down, as is Facebook. You're seeing people like us flocking off Facebook. We're still there right now, guys. We may disappear at any time. We already are creating a platform on MeWe. We've got a listener of ours, Dan Roberts, created a site for us, which we're actually pretty interested in exploring and seeing what he could do with that. It's like a standalone social media site he created for the Lions of Liberty. We're looking at our options. We're going to get on BitChute. Get off of YouTube, try to get on BitChute more. We're seeing a decentralization that has to happen. And I think the American populace is ready to wake up. And that gives us an opportunity as libertarians. I said this last episode, we have to remind people this is something we've been right about. Not, not defending private corporations, corporations, but talking about how big government gets in bed with big tech, how cronyism allows these companies to get to their behemoth size. These companies could not ever get to the size that they're at today without government assistance, without government assistance with taxes, regulations, without stifling competition, without giving them favorable deals like Amazon goes to New York and gets an insane tax break that no regular business could ever have. Here you go, 70% off your business. Like in Venice Beach here in Los Angeles, they gave the assholes at Pinterest or Instagram, wherever it was, they gave them like 70% off the real estate they purchased for their office buildings. You think anybody else would get that kind of break? Of course not. Cronyism. Big government loves big tech and big business. All right. Let's do a couple different topics here. So anyway, long story short, guys, there is opportunity out there. Talk to people. Let them know the problem here is not just Donald Trump. The problem here is not just censorship and freedom of speech. The problem is the collaboration that people don't seem to realize because they're too distracted with the dog and pony show. They're distracted with the political theater going on. They have to look behind it and see the problem is maybe at this point, I mean, drug war is still, still tops war state still up there, but I would say number three on my list right now, cronyism for sure. We're seeing it right now has to stop, has to be addressed, has to be top three on our list. All right, let's talk about some idiots of the week. No reason or sanity to be found. Idiots and assholes all around. When stupidity is at its peak, it's the idiot of the week. Big shout out to our supporter, Josh Anderson, for that ditty every time. So, two idiots of the week. One, I can't even necessarily call an idiot, really. Uh, he's an idiot for the way he's handled things. Maybe I'll start with him and we'll end with uh, <laughs> something even more stupid and less devious. So Andrew Cuomo, Governor Andrew Cuomo, famed hulking nipple-piercing man from New York State, has now abruptly turned around his tune on how to handle COVID in the lockdowns. He now came out in his state of the state address and said, coincidentally, right after Donald Trump has conceded, right after all the transition is over, he has now conceded that the way in which they've handled the lockdowns has been an absolute killer for business and that we can no longer move ahead with the economy being shut down in New York State, that they have to, in fact, open things up. I ask you, my friends, is this blatant chicanery? Are we seeing, once again, 
the long con play out wherein these people intentionally tanked economies in order to submarine Donald Trump and GOP chances. Of course, we all know that the effects of COVID have been upplayed. We all know that the survival rate is 99.9 if you're under the age of 70. We all know that the pandemic has been overblown insofar as the number of cases reported because the flu has magically disappeared. Meanwhile, COVID cases have exploded. Meanwhile, people are being marked as COVID deaths no matter what they die as long as they're in a hospital and test positive for COVID. I also told you on a previous episode that only 30% of people went into the hospital with COVID. And yet something like 90% of them had COVID by the time that they left or expired in the hospital. So what does that tell you? Tells me a lot of people are going to the hospital for non-COVID issues that are being marked as COVID deaths because of the economic incentives that they are paid out by the state and to continue the authoritarian rule of the people that want to keep us in fear. So Andrew Cuomo, what do you think? An idiot? An asshole? or simply in the know and playing out his part of the plan. You know which one I think. And now let's finish up this episode with some true stupidity during the siege, the quote-unquote siege, where people were just invited in and allowed to traipse about the Capitol building. Some people that were at that storming had the Punisher logo on their shirts. Hmm. Maybe because it looked intimidating. Maybe they're just comic book fans. Maybe they didn't even know what it was at all and just thought it was a skull. And in fact, I bet a lot of them were just skulls and weren't actually the Punisher logo. Because if you've ever seen the Punisher, famed Marvel superhero, uh, what's his name? Frank something or other. Star of many failed Marvel movies. (laughs) but is known as a man who goes about ass-kicking. And uh, basically, he's one of Marvel's, I'd say, less morally righteous characters. He has no problem killing on a whim. But you could see why people would say, okay, I'll adopt that logo. I'm going in, I'm, uh, I'm taking names, I'm kicking ass, I'm doing it for justice, whatever it might be. But of course, people are calling for Marvel to retire the Punisher and or his logo following its adoption as a, quote, symbol of hatred and division following the riots at the Capitol. And I guess some people were even sporting a modified version. So if it's a modified version, that makes it not the logo anymore. Just point that out. If you modify a logo and change it, it is no longer the logo. Now it's just a skull they did crap to. Just point that out to everybody. But using this tact, okay, so because some people use the Punisher logo because he's a guy that uses violence for vengeance, whatever else his his backstory might be, somehow Marvel's now responsible? So Marvel has to retire this logo because people have adopted it? Meanwhile, what is Batman then? If you you retire the Punisher's logo, let me also make this very clear. If you retire that logo, here's what's going to happen. People are going to adopt it 10 times as much because now it's going to be seen as exceptionally counterculture and counter to wokeism and counter to censorship. So instead of five Punisher skulls at a riot, you're going to see hundreds of them. You're going to see the black market explode. Even if they pull it off the market, you will see a million and a half variations on that Punisher logo available tomorrow. And it will become a rallying cry even more so than it is today. Maybe that's the idea. Again, maybe this is all part of the plan. Maybe they want people to be wearing these skull outfits so that they're even more terrifying so they can justify even more of a crackdown. But for now, I'm just going to write it off as more leftist idiocy, similar to when people on the GOP side freaked out about rap having curse words in it. Just reactive, moronic nonsense. Ah, that's going to do it for today's episode, guys. I hope that you uh, enjoyed it. I hope that you, I hope that you thought my take was interesting and in how I do see this playing out. If you want to disagree or agree, you can hit me up. You can get, uh, follow me on Twitter at Brian McWilliams. Of course, we are at Lions of Liberty. You can follow me on. Uh, I'm on MeWe now, and I'm also. Uh, if you want to email me, just Brian at LionsOfLiberty.com. No dick pics, only titties and scrotums. None like any of the dicks in between. Um, yeah, guys, and also do download, do listen to Bravo and Beer. 
I really, really think you'll like the show. It's absolutely hilarious. It's everything irreverent you like about this show times 20. It is absolutely fall down, laugh out loud, belly chuckle. Great. So check that out. As I said, I need you. I need every other libertarian out there. We need to have more people out in media. We need to have more mainstream appeal. We need to have people that are just out there creating content that are likable, that are listenable, that people don't just immediately say, ah, guy's a crazy libertarian. We want them to see that we are people. I think actually, I think Alan Mosley mentioned this, stealing my, steal my stuff, stealing my best bits. But I think Alan Mosley on Mark's show talked about this too. We need liberty to be likable again. As was the title of my speech last episode, we need liberty to be likable. That starts with having personable public personas out there that people can relate to, that people like and gravitate towards that aren't just shoving liberty down their throats. Bravo and beer. And Mark and Remzo's second print podcast. These are second print comics, excuse me, podcast. These are two of the ways we're trying to make that happen. Now, there's more stuff that we're working on. There's more stuff I'm writing and everything else, but go download it, go subscribe to it, give it a listen, share it with your friends. That's the beauty of it. This show, I'm hoping you can share with your friends. I'm hoping, please tell people about it. I'm putting in a lot of effort, you know, I'm putting in a lot of thought, more than I do on usual shows because we're in a very special time right now. And as a whole, we're putting in a lot of effort All we're asking is you to share the show, to support what we're doing. If you want to support us monetarily, that's awesome. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. You get the new Do Nothing Bands. You get Conspiracy Corners. You get the bonus uh, Degenerate Gamblers we do, our roundtable shows. There's a lot of content we're putting out for you. That's awesome. We're trying to grow the show, do much more with it. But if nothing else, subscribing to those other feeds we have, Bravo and Beer, Second Print Comics Podcast, that costs you nothing. And I guarantee you're going to get a lot out of it. All right, that's it. Enough salesmanship on my end. Thank you for listening, guys. For me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty. Liberty. 